everyone hit the record button. Otherwise, this is going to be a very, very awkward show. Yes. Yep. Okay, that's that's good. Yes. All right. I think this song pretty much describes kind of how we're feeling right now. This is a song made famous by a little little movie I call Forrest Gump. Actually, it wasn't made famous by Forrest Gump, but you know, it is what it is. Eric can tell us all about this song. Looks like you're holding back from singing on camera. I'll stop it right now because Eric's just like, give me a look. And I don't know how I feel about it. Can Eric even hear me? Yeah. I was just enjoying the song. Okay. But I think that song was very much famous before Forrest Gump. Yeah, probably. Well, you know, it is what it is. Jackson Brown is a pretty famous musician. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to another episode of engage and uh this week i guess we're going to talk about star trek discovery season three episode four forget me not and joining me today is david what's up man what's happening and i got me some eric commander eric what's going on dude oh you know i'm not feeling so great getting over something but i'm gonna power my way through it well done well done. Hopefully there's no uh, running to the toilet or hugging the toilet or anything like that. Just remember your safety briefing and you'll be okay. Uh, yeah. Remember your training and you'll make it back alive. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, okay. So you you were telling me pre-show about like how, you know, like your experience of not feeling well and like what you've <clears throat> endured. Um it was pretty rough. <laughs> it was it was intense. So it was camping. Okay. Oh. And <laughs> is that a is that your dad joke? That's yeah, that's my quota for this episode already. Um, dude, let me tell you something. I just got done taking my comps and I did not sleep well for like the three nights of it. So like Wednesday no, sorry. So Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday evenings, I did not sleep well at all. So I was like sleep deprived. And when I get sleep deprived, I get like nasal crud. Well, my wife had already been sick the week before, like with her own sinus stuff. And I was taking care of her. And then I get the crud. And like I'm taking all the Alka-Seltzer plus cold tablets I can get my hands on, the emergency, everything. And I'm feeling like crap the entire time. And I'm like, don't come in contact with people because they're going to think you have the Rona. And that's not going to be good. Dude, let me tell you. I finished my comps. Praise God, I finished my comps. I'm so happy to be done with written comps. Anyone out there in listener land that's in a doc program that's had to do those suckers, they're a pain in the arse. They really are. Um, lots of writing. But the, here's how I celebrate it, okay? This is how much of an old man I am. In my version of celebrating, I ordered some Panda Express. I had the, the option of either um, plate 
or bigger plate on DoorDash. And you, of course, I you splurged the, with the bigger plate. I splurged <laughs> with bigger plate. <laughs> Got me some Kung Pao chicken, some double chow mein, some double orange chicken, and a chicken egg roll, because I'm a fatty. I ate that, and I went to bed, and I slept for like 11 and a half hours, and then stayed in bed all day Saturday. It was fantastic. Yeah, just, just think about that. Like, this is how you celebrated finishing your comps for your PhD. And think about the difference <laughs> between how someone getting their PhD celebrates between someone graduating with their bachelor's. <laughs> right. Like, I'm going to order well, some Panda Express. That's no, like, well, let's go out, massive bar hunt. Well, it's, it's either you're an old man or like a teenager. So you're on either end of the spectrum. You just have to choose which demographic you're in right now. Uh, I, I, I'm enjoying my 30s more than I did my teens, so I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, the teens were not enjoyable for me. But, you know, part of it wasn't by necessary choice. I mean, I just, I literally felt like crap um, afterwards. Like, I think I was, t I was texting y'all because we were trying to figure out like when we were going to record this. And, um, like I ended up having at one point, like just a low grade fever. It was like 99, something like that. hundred. I wasn't feeling well. I still sound a little nasally. I had some funky stuff all up in my nose. And let me tell you, man, Teladoc, get you some steroids. Woo. Come on, somebody. Can I get a witness? Ha! Yeah. You so know, I'm I've got, I've got the Teladoc with my insurance from my employer, but I've never used it. I don't think I've been to the doctor in like seven or eight years. David, when was the last time you went to see a doctor? Uh, I don't know. Sometime last year. We, you know, in order to keep our insurance premiums low and keep the subsidy from our company active and not have to pay another, I don't remember, like another two to three hundred dollars a month, uh, we have to go for a checkup at least once a year. So I do it at least oh. once a year. <laughs> and that's there stretching it. That'd be okay. stretching it for me because that's my least favorite yeah. thing to do. Yeah, I sat I sat in bed all day, ordered me some drugs after seeing the doctor, of course. Not the other way around. Right. And <laughs> Hey, I don't know what your state illegal. passed. We don't know what your state passed on this recent. You could be like cycle. Oregon, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean it is what it is. All bets are off here in Texas, apparently. <laughs> um, and just watched. I, I, I vacillated between um, Law and Order SVU. Good choice. Good choice. Um, I'm on season six now of that. And uh, Clone Wars. I'm finally on season two of Clone Wars. And um, I'm about two episodes into Andromeda. I liked so. it. I enjoyed Andromeda. You can definitely see the influence of Andromeda on this season of of Discovery. So far, yes. And I can't remember, David, had you seen Andromeda whenever that was brought up a couple weeks ago? Um, I, I can't remember. I'm going to say no, but I, I, I might have at least viewed some of it. Because, like, I mean, like, Firefly was another one. I never really watched Firefly, but, like, if you put it in front of me, it's like, oh, yeah, I kind of recognize that. So at some point I probably it's, caught it you know, on, like, cable. <laughs> you know, 
Kevin Captain Hercules. Kevin, so was Kevin it, Sorbo, Hercules. Oh, okay, character. yes, I do know that, but I haven't watched it like religiously or anything like that. But I do know what it is. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and then I, um, Lexa Duig, who's who's Andromeda, who was the uh, the chief medical officer on the last two seasons of SG One, I believe. Yeah, she's Michael Shanks' wife. Real life wife, yeah. Is it Duig? I always said it Doig. I'm pr- I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's Duig. Okay. Dweig. Sounds like a spring. It's springing. <laughs> Dweig. 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 <laughs> you know, We're terrible. all of this talk about doctors makes me want to talk about another doctor. Is it? And his name okay, is. Okay, go ahead. His name is Culber. You mean Counselor Colber? Yeah, Counselor Colber? Well, he could be MD slash PhD, right? Yes. Yes. Well, Um, well, they already have a chief medical officer, so what does he do? Yeah, like, okay, so why not just make Colber the chief medical officer of the Discovery? Why do we have Dr. Pollard? She's essentially a glorified extra. And it seems like Colbert is essentially doing the job of the chief medical officer in this episode. So, so before we get too deep into this, this, this is not spoiler free. So, black <laughs> alert. Uh, a bit, bit earlier than last time. No, <laughs> yeah, this is We're not hour into it. But, but We're getting but I'll be there. honest, Eric. I, I actually that that was something that uh, I wanted to talk about today because unfortunately, it seems like. There are a lot of people uh, that I have no idea where they really fit in in a like a traditional crew, um, which also leads to another point that we can talk about later, too. But, uh, but yeah, Colbert, why isn't he chief medical officer? I mean, again, he was, uh, but yeah, he was lost. We got a new one. So you're here. No, you're but, helping but out. He, no, but he was never the chief medical officer. Even going oh, back to season. No, even going back to season one, it was always Dr. Pollard. I guess I just I always saw him. I know, and I never he noticed always, her until later. Yeah, she's just a glorified extra, is what I call I'll her. I'll be done. I mean, you can definitely tell it's in like episode like five or six of season one. He says, "I've got to go make a report to the CMO." <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, realize okay. something new every day about a show you should have already known this about. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the devil in the details, and I'm, yeah. I have a detail-oriented mind. So are you the devil? I said the devil in the details, right? That's an expression. I didn't just make that up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gang. So um, episode four, if I'm not completely doped up on medication right now, um, we have essentially these two storylines one it's the kumbaya necessity of the crew and what the devil's going on with Adira and this whole human trill thingy thing and um, if I'm not mistaken we we kind of we see the the story start out like with like the all the PT stuff going on and Culber doing his monologue and checking people out and eventually getting to Saru 
and saying, hey, people need this. And Saru's kind of like perplexed about like what the heck to do. And then that kind of just goes away and then we pick up with Adira. So um, would y'all rather talk about Culber since we're already talking about him? In that storyline, or do you want to jump right into Adira? Let's let's start with Culber. Okay, let's I do it. I want to start there. I mean, I'm only one vote, so no, that's that's good. Might might as well. Okay, so I have a lot to say. All right. First of all, I, I refuse to call these teasers anymore because I don't think they're teasers. I'll just call it Act One. Some of them are like nine, ten minutes long. Um, but we have this Act 1 that, to me, opens like a classic Star Trek episode where you have one character maybe, you know, giving a, a log entry and then you see you hear the log entry playing over them while they're going about their duties. And I like the fact that we open here on Colber because, you know, we're, we've experienced, we've gone through this big experience and it makes sense to... You know, think about the the health and the mental health of our crew. And I was really enjoying this beginning part here. And then you see he's talking to Detmer, and you can tell like she's still in the the denial phase at right the what the four or five stages of grief or whatever. She's in the denial phase. And then he goes to uh Saru and he you know, as you said, he's like, Hey, the crew is not doing well. We need to figure out a way to help them. And we get Saru here learning how to be a captain. And I really enjoyed that aspect of this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it was it was good. It, uh, you know, I I think I think the episode in general felt a little bit more like a Star Trek episode and I mean like in the group group chat, you know, I'd kind of said that you know this is sort of what I what I sort of wanted to fall into because the first first few episodes were essentially wrap-ups in my opinion of season two uh so now we are season three and we're kind of getting to what we're supposed to be doing here at at least that's the way I view it um but I I I think they were like one of two things because I know we had talked a little bit about you know Detmer and is this something different is this going to be like a plot line and it seems like it's not it just seems like everybody is uh, stressed and I actually wrote it down post-traumatic growth and I, I, I I'm not I have I, I took like a couple of psych classes in college however many years ago and I don't remember any of that being a thing so <laughs> I don't know if that was made up Chase you can tell me if that was made up or not but, um, you, you know, so we're starting to, to diagnose more the mental aspect of things. So that kind of takes away, well, it may or may not, but it kind of feels like it takes away the potentiality of something more, like more nefarious, like more of an, like an overarching sort of storyline. Um, but I'm fine with that. I don't think we talk enough about mental health as a society anyway. So it's, I think it's, when you can, when you can put it out there tastefully, and not as more of a trope and something more of something that, you know, seems to matter. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it just, it, again, it starts to layer in, uh, okay. So is this how Culber's going to fit in 
to the crew now? Is is he going to take like that Deanna Troy role and you know sort of ferry people through the the problems of uh, you know their their existence to this point? But I mean, it, I, I I agree. The whole sort of like kind of like log entry type of thing was was nice was a nice touch. Yeah, I really liked it too. It really took me back to. Uh, I guess just like the trek that we grew up on, you know, kind of starting out with like the logs and just kind of how the whole thing was set up. And um, I would like to point out that Hanel Culpepper is the one that directed this, and she's the one that also directed the uh, series opener for Picard. And I thought that was a, a really well shot episode. So, um, and I know that I think Eric was saying that or, or proposing like maybe Frakes has like lost his touch, and I'm wondering if if Hanel is maybe the new Frakes, so to speak. No, I with think Frakes still being there. She's she's a talented director, there's no doubt about that. Like she definitely yeah. has a touch even even when you look at like that remembrance, the opener of Picard, there's a lot of like like mental issues and and like um, personal feelings that are going on in that episode and growth and learning about yourself and coming to terms with what's happening to you with the storyline with Dodge and how she has to figure out who she is. Mm-hmm. And da- uh, David, you were asking like, you know, is that even a real thing? I'd never heard of it before. And it sure is. It's not made up post post-traumatic growth um, has more or less been around since like, like the 90s like when it was like first like conceptualized without getting too in the weeds with it um and just like with trauma like whenever um a mental health professional is taking an inventory and assessment and maybe diagnosing like a ptsd um or some kind of similar traumatic disorder that might be outlined in the dsm um depending on what it is, post-traumatic growth can be um, just the, the, this, it, it, there's, uh, there's certainly an overcoming aspect to it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to like make it a little bit simpler. Um, like trauma is horrible, straight up horrible, and it doesn't go away overnight. But with time, there's a certain level of like intrinsic growth that can be experienced by the individual holding that trauma. So, um, you know, in the context of Star Trek Discovery, and even like going back to Best of Both Worlds and all the other trauma that we've seen in various iterations of Trek, there's a transformative experience. Like we see that with Picard, you know, not necessarily that happens like from one episode to the next, like with family, but I mean, really by the time we get to Picard, right like with the the xbs and finally seeing the humanity there's almost a type of post-traumatic growth that's taking that has taken place with him and that's essentially what Culber i think is really trying to get at with the crew um vis-a-vis you know detmer welcome to class everyone (laughs) (laughs) but i i really i really enjoyed the opening um i liked Colbert's character in in how this started out and like you David um, this is like something that I've been wanting um, and been hoping to see eventually um, with Star Trek Discovery which I think has been severely lacking up to this point 
Um, there have been there have been some decent episodes throughout Discovery. Not all they're not all gold, but there have been some decent ones. But I think this one, like, so far stands out as as a good one, so far. And I know that we're going to disagree, and that we're going to have fun talking about this in this week's episode. Okay, so <clears throat> I I do I like how we're following Culber here, and um, then it kind of passes off to Saru briefly and he's talking with the computer and he's like how can i help my crew how can i help my crew and the computer's like you know, giving all these like eat more fiber whatever the computer says like well, the computer dumb completely things. changes its voice and apparently <laughs> yeah. we don't we don't find that to be strange at all by the way and it's just like casually yeah. explained away at the end well well yeah, well, I'll get to that. But like, the computer's listing all these dumb things, like exercise and and eating more dairy, and like he's like, that's not what I mean. He's like, oh, and then the computer voice changes, and the computer voice changes to Zora, who, if you don't know who Zora is, she's the the sentient being from that short track Calypso. And I know I skipped most of the short treks because they are not very good. Like, I mean, I've watched them all, but I don't really remember them all. But that one was particularly good. And we... And I'm interest, it's interesting because I feel like there's a lot of... How much foresight was there when they made that short trek, knowing where they were going to end up? Because we see the discovery... And it's a thousand years into the future. Did they already plan out this storyline that the ship was going to go that far into the future? We've got to believe that Zora is, um, you know, gained consciousness from the Sphere Archive. Did they already have that storyline planned out when they made that short trek? So I'm curious if, like, did they start at the end and work their way back? Or did they have this all planned out? I mean, that's a good that's a good thought. I mean, Calypso that was that was like season season one of short. Yeah, Tricks, it came wasn't out it? in like it came out before season two of Discovery aired. And Disco came and Disco came out in I think se- was that mid eighteen or no 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 that oh, was that was nineteen. Yeah, season two was in all the way in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, spring of nineteen, I believe was. So yeah, it had and that had to have come out late two thousand eighteen. Yeah, yeah. So, unless they just kind of shoehorned this in, right? Yeah. Like, like did they did start like at the end and like work their work. way back? Yeah. Right. Well, but see, as a, as a person who's a little bit more casual into what new Trek, I mean, we could talk all day about old Trek, and I can drudge up things. But like with this newer Trek, I didn't know anything about that until I read about it immediately after the episode. So to me, judging off of what I do and don't know, that seemed really strange. You know what yeah. I mean? Like your, your, your reaction to that is just like, oh yeah, you know what? A, a Buster Keaton movie would be a really good idea. Strange new voice computer. I think I'm going to do that and nothing bad will happen. I mean, I, yeah, won't, yeah. I won't over rely on a computer that gives me really good advice when I don't have the necessary command experience at this point. I'm still not very high on Suru. I mean, yeah, I like was, him, but was, I'm still not high on him being captain yet. 
it was it was funny because like the computer changes voices as you said and he's like computer run a level 10 diagnostic he's like i'm operating perfectly fine <laughs> like are you sure <laughs> yeah. hard wink <laughs> i'm totally okay i would be like really i think that i would have a little bit different reaction at that moment yeah like, wait, what just happened here? Now, thankfully, he didn't, like, keep it a secret, though. Because that's always the thing that bothers me is when people try and keep that stuff, like, a secret. So at least it's sort of known that that... And then we, we kind of... I don't know, like I said, without knowing about that short track, I, I wouldn't have known. And then you just sort of have this little ramble at the end about, oh, Sphere's just trying to protect us. Really? Nice. Why didn't we just stay well, stay back 900 years? It was yeah. just trying to protect us. Mm-hmm. No, I do like the idea of... You know, Andromeda has this idea, too. It has a sentient AI on board, like, the ship. Um, and I re- A very good-looking sentient AI. Right, okay, yeah, that's Lexa Duig or Doig or whatever. Doig, Doig, Doig. Yeah. So are, are, is that where we're heading? Is the, sh- is the ship going to gain consciousness here? Is that a plot point that we're looking forward to? I mean, let's look at the, let's look at the opening credits. There's like some weird robo hands doing a thing. It could be. Well, maybe we should figure out how the existing characters fit in before you go and add another character. Unless you're right, thinking about yeah. axing characters. I mean... I mean... That's a, as that much sounds as like I, a season four problem. As much as I've enjoyed the, the character moments from these characters here in season three so far, especially with Detmer and with Colbert in this episode, I feel like I would enjoy them more if seasons one and two spent more time developing these characters and less time relying on Michael Burnham and Saru and Tilly. It does feel like it's a catch-up. It feels very much like a catch-up. But like they're playing catch-up like with, with the, like a Wusaku. Come on, come on, say it, Eric. I know you want to. (laughs) Can't, I can't say it. The devil in in the details got him. (laughs) <laughs> I had to cough because I was laughing. Say her name, Eric. Awusakun. There you go. Well, no, it feels very much like ketchup. This whole, this whole, really bad Thanksgiving dinner that I'm sure we've all experienced at some point in our life, and we might experience here in a few weeks, right? Feels like the writers are like, "Hey, we need to just get all the characters together." Because we know that we've neglected them in the past. Well, but it, it does sort of seem like, even though Michael is still the an, an, an integral part of the second split off of this show, I, I I actually kind of like this whole. If it continues like this, the whole first officer Burnham, because you can break her off and do individual arc, but you can also sort of put her back a little bit too and then explore the other characters at least again I can't read minds and who knows what they're going to do with the rest of the show but I mean season one season two were very Burnham forward and it it feels like and again just judging by a very short short sample size 
it kind of feels like maybe, you know, we can we can put it more in the Riker thing where it's like he's obviously there and he does his own missions, but it doesn't necessarily have to be just him. But you also unfortunately don't have a Picard to then hands. I, I mean, I, this is I, this is chase. We're, we're using hands now. Eric, <laughs> you have your I have hand a, up. I have a I have a question. You just said <laughs> that Michael Burnham was being put to the back. Do you really think that's what this episode well, did? Well, no, I, I'm not saying put to the back. I'm just sort of like saying we can accentuate other things while having her more to the side and not not necessarily like this is Savior Burnham time. And I and I'm I'm fully cognizant of the fact that eventually we'll probably work towards something like that towards the end, but what I'm hoping is and what I have a a very shallow feeling is is that we might at least get a little bit where we can sort of focus on other characters. I could be entirely wrong. I'm just saying that like if I were writing a show, that's what I would do, but there again, I mean there's a reason why she is first on the call sheet. I mean, that's what I would do, too, if I was writing a show. But that is the absolute opposite opinion that I had coming out of this episode. Coming out of this episode, I thought I had the idea that Michael Burnham is going to take a much more prominent role as we move forward, not a less of a role. So let's get back just for a second to to the awkward Thanksgiving Day like customer appreciation dinner type of thing. Eric, I know how much you love a good sitting around a table and talking. So even though it was awkward as heck, what'd you think of all these folks sitting around a table and talking? I liked it. I'm not sure I understand the guest list. Um... So here's our guest list. He says, bring the bridge officers and your senior staff, right? Is Tilly part of the senior staff? I mean, I mean was she's Harry an ensign. Kim? I mean, but Harry Kim was the operations officer. What is Tilly's job? Science Hey, maybe person? we should define that a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, maybe Tilly should actually have a job. Like, what's her job? Well, she's so she's wearing um was it engineering copper? Right? Yeah, whatever. I don't, I still not sure I understand the color scheme here. There's only two colors. There's not three. Three. There're three. There's gold, silver, and bronze. Really? I've only yeah. noticed two of them. I guess the yeah. the gold and the bronze must be too similar looking with the lighting for me to notice the difference. Probably. Probably, but yeah, there's gold, silver, and bronze, and Tilly wears an engineering division Delta, I'm pretty sure, with her ensign pip yeah, badge yeah, the, thing. The one pip on the badge. No, I guess But yeah, like but she but yeah, she's either hanging out with Stamets in his laboratory, or she's on the bridge doing something yeah but what's her job and then and then okay we've got bryce and reese who we get confused sometimes they're the the comm officer and the tactical officer okay then we've got non who's our ta who's our chief of security apparently chief of security and tactical officer are two different people 
you know. Why not? That's that's a new. Then we've got, you know, Stamets. Okay, he's not our chief engineer. He's, like, our chief science officer or something. Chief of spores. Yeah. Um, Dr. Kolber, who... Chief of shrews. Dr. Kolber, who's not our chief medical officer. <laughs> right? Sure. Why is your... Ch- why is your chief medical officer not part of your senior staff? Why do you not invite her to this dinner? Because she's okay. not real. <laughs> she's part of the mycelial okay. network. So then she's just made up of like of shroom dust. So, and then okay, then you've got you've got <laughs> Detmer and Awusakun, Okay, then you've got this Lieutenant Nilsson. Who? What's her job? I know she took over for Arium. <laughs> But what was Arium's job on the bridge? And now this Lieutenant Nilsson, what is her job? I don't know what she does. We saw her sitting in the captain's chair, either in this episode or the last one, very briefly. So she's got to be pretty important. I don't know what she does. Fun fact about that. So the actress that originally played Arium is her. Yeah, I knew that. And it was a different actress that took over Arium that got done died. (laughs) Yeah, but what's her oh, job? That's, that, that's nice. Okay, so listen, we're going to kill this character off, but we still want you to stick around, so just uh, we'll come back. We'll get you back. It's cool. You'll be a new person. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. She she played Arium in season one. Okay. They recast, right. they recast Is that, Arium okay. with a different actress. Then they killed Arium, and then they brought back the original Arium actor as a different character. Actually, that sounds worse yep. then. i'll be i'll be honest like so you went through all that i'm still i'm a little concerned about uh oh crap uh i don't have the page up what what is what is our other um pickup engineer called uh what was her name jet Reno. reno she wasn't there yeah where is she she's just gone she's gone She's not well. She's not senior staff. I don't even know if she's official. Who knows? They just picked her up. She's she's cool though. Chief, chief comedic engineer. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then our other our other guests are Linus the Saurian, right? Mm. What's his job? I don't know what his job is. Like the, I'll I'll just say this. Like I know we're just, we're being like maybe petty a little bit, but like my legitimate thought was like. I can kind of understand, like, all y'all being in here, but him, I couldn't. Like, elevator alien. No, like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, why are you Why are you at the table? I mean, okay, if you're at the table, like, if, if the captain invited you, then cool. But, like... Why? Like, it, it was just so... It was just so out there. Like, for him being considered senior staff when... I don't remember ever seeing him on the bridge doing a thing. No, Let alone, me I mean, I've only seen him on the elevator when or they were forcing in, comedy or, or in, in, a, in a corridor doing a talk or something. Or in the mess hall. <clears throat> right, right. Mm-hmm. So. And then our other, di- one more dinner guest, Emperor Georgiou. And apparently it's an open secret. Everyone knows who she is, right? We talked about this last week where we thought it was like still a secret and only very few people knew who she was but just out in the open emperor georgiou everyone knows who she is now i thought that was a little I, strange i think, I, I, think I, i've asked this question 
at least two times in some way. Do you think they're trying to redeem Georgiou? Georgiou? Well, it feels like they're trying to soften her in this episode. Because I, I, I feel like, yeah, at least my, my whole question was, is what, what is her purpose in this season? She was Because I felt like, like her story was done. Or at least the story I, with Discovery was done. But, like, towards the end of the episode, and even even here a little bit, you see, like, people trying to connect to her. The haiku thing. Was that a haiku? Yeah. I mean, okay. Cool, <laughs> I guess. But, yeah, I, I think they're trying to somehow, somehow fold her into the cake. To the collective Discovery cake. But do you want her to be? Well, no. What's, no, what's me neither. I still don't understand the point. I mean, I, again, me if, if, if you're if I, you're looking at her, what what would she be good at? Okay, maybe like chief of security or tactical officer. Oh wait, we have both of those. <laughs> yeah, like I I don't get it. I've said it too. I think if she sacrificed herself at the end of season two, that would have been the end of her story arc, and you could have said, well, there's her redemption. We could we could get do like a wharf thing, right? And like just have like a random title that's made up of sorts. Or or we could combine chief of security and tactical officer and make it chief of tactical security for her. We could just you know, are you talking about like strategic operations officer make yeah. up that title? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, because like O'Brien, he was um, chief of operations, right? Mm-hmm. At not DS9. But then, not chief engineer. And then Worf comes along, and now he's chief of strategic, strategic operations. operations. And the liaison between DS9 and like Starfleet, something or another. So, why not? Why not? We're we're nine hundred years in the future. We do what we want. Maybe Giorgio can like put together a studio on Discovery and like teach some people like a, an obscure martial arts or something like Worf. Uh, they can get in in the nice cotton uniforms and just kind of you know roll around. It'll be great. Yeah. Do some stretching. Oh, man. With mirrors all around. No. Okay. Too soon. No, no more aerobics. We're not in the 90s anymore, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. you brought up the haiku. What did you think about the the haiku battle here? It was that a was little so awkward. <laughs> so awkward. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it... So, you talked about, like, awkward Thanksgivings, right? And I don't know what your families are like, but, you know, back when I was younger, we always had a rather large deals with all this extended family, right? Not so much anymore, but that was always a big thing. So you see like a random cousin that you've never met and probably only will like next year. And, you know, so you, you try and connect on whatever level. So, you know, being super clever, uh, overly educated future people. Um, yes, clearly the way to bond is through haiku. Yeah. Yeah, because every alien species knows what haiku is. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yes, I'm you evil, know, but I like haiku too. It's quirky. 
hey, just because You're I'm evil no doesn't mean I'm not sophisticated. <laughs> you know, it's November 2020. I'm 33 years old. I still don't understand haikus. I barely understand limericks, okay? Yeah, I'm there with you. <laughs> but, yeah, like, the whole haiku thing, especially, like, whenever it got to Detmer, like, okay, you're kind of psychotic right now. This is awesome. Okay, so, Chase, help me understand what Detmer is thinking and feeling here, because you're the, you're the expert. Hey, right now, I'm just a Star Trek nerd, okay? Okay. That's all I am right now. Okay. I'm off the clock unless you're going to pay me. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> we don't we don't have money here on the station. Well, the plot currently demands it, my man. <laughs> well, it, j just to break in real quick, though, in all honesty, I actually thought that that whole everybody going off on the rails was really neat because, again, it all draws back to nobody knowing what the hell everybody does. And it's like, oh, we're ju you're just a whole bunch of you're you're a whole ship full of saviors. You're just here to do the jump, or you're here to blah blah mm -hmm. blah. I'm I'm actually like doing a thing all the time. I'm flying the ship. So to be honest, I actually thought that was cool because again, we don't really have a clear definition for people. So it, I don't think that that's the intent. I think the intention is obviously to focus on the you know the PTSD and the stress and all that stuff. But right. it kind of fits both ways, at least for me. She does. I mean, she does have a, um, like, like the psychotic symptomology kind of thing going on. Um, of course, she's got like the the whole PTSD thing, like we've been talking about, that's been going on. One thing that uh, it doesn't always happen, but it can happen with people that have um, psychotic features, psycho psychosis, psychotic symptomology, whatever you want to call it. Um, and there's this big fancy word called perseverating. I don't know if you all have ever heard of perseverating before, but perseverating essentially is like where I could ask you, but you'd ask me like a simple question, pick any question, like, how you doing? And I would probably typically say good, okay, fine, whatever. And you might move on in the conversation, but I'm still, I'm still like stuck on the question and the response and I keep responding in a similar way and there's different degrees to that essentially and that's a that's a very l loose way of describing what's going on with her is like she got so she hitched her wagon to this whole haiku thing and like the blood and the everything right that we saw play out so that was kind of on the nose with like what she's kind of experiencing from a symptoms perspective. Now, I'm not saying that she's full on psychotic, but she's definitely got something going on that is psychotic-like, basically. And then, so the fact the fact that there is some good, some good uh, mental health stuff going on, I liked. It was uncomfortable, but I liked it. And so, do you feel like? Her, her outburst here, like she has this big outburst in this confrontation with Stamets. I like, you know, you think you're the savior, but you're not the savior. Like we all have, we all play a role here. I play a role here and I'm the one doing this all the time. This big outburst. Is that outburst necessary for her in order to, to get better? 
or is that going to be um, something that might be detrimental? I'm not going to say it's one or the other, but I think it's definitely part of the journey that she has to go on, and I think it's 100% legitimate. Um, and you you think of like the stimuli that goes like with with uh, someone with a PTSD, a post traumatic stress disorder, and it's either learning of an event based on the DSM five in the 21st century, right? Like here in 2020, uh, the, the DSM five talks about how when it comes to PTSD, you have either experienced the event, learned of it, um, or witnessed it basically. Um, so, um, uh, let's say for example, like your mom, Eric. Okay. Like if, like I was around your mom a lot growing up, like in our formative years. Okay. So something terrible happened to your mom, which I hope to God does not. But for the sake of this conversation, if something did happen, if you witnessed it and you told me about it, there's a high likelihood that I could, I could develop PTSD in a similar way that you might, if you found out about something terrible happening to your mom. There's a lot more criteria to that, but that's going to be at the basis of it. So the fact that Detmer and also um, the whole crew have been witnessing these traumatic events, maybe at a, at a higher exacerbated level than like other Starfleet officers might, is, is feeding into this trauma. And, and it's, it's showing us like, how do we manage our our traumatic experiences as Starfleet officers. That's what I'm seeing play out on the screen. These what first three or four episodes, really these, these three episodes now with Detmer. That's heavy stuff here. You're welcome. Right. Welcome to class. class. (laughs) I mean, I mean, you know, I know that I know I said this is heavy stuff. And when we're asking tough, important questions, but I think that's, kind of the purpose of Star Trek sometimes is to explore these difficult situations and to ask difficult questions and to not be just, even though we're a utopian future, even not to just be nice and rosy. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and, and the thing that's... That's... <coughs> it's good in a way is like with our brains, I'm going to be actually talking about this in the near future with some students is, you know, we hear about how our bla- our brains are plastic and plastic is just a way of, of saying able to be changed and neuro being a fancy way of saying brain. So our brain can literally be changed um, based on our thought life and other stimuli that come into it. So the fact that you have a traumatic experience does not mean that you are destined to be that way for the rest of your life. It might take longer to get back to a quote unquote healthy baseline. And I want to pause right here um, because I know what we're talking about is, and even this episode can be um, difficult for some people to watch. So um, I do want to be a little sensitive right now that if this has happened to you and this is um, affecting you, feel free to pause this, okay? Um, I, I've, I've worked with people with PTSD and the most random stuff, small and big, triggers them to go into their 
their reactions, whether they're veterans or not. But you are not destined to be and respond the way that you might presently. So I don't see Detmer being stuck the way that she is right now. And at the same time, I hope to God they don't just snap their fingers and and magic it away. You know, I, ho- I want her to, I don't want to say struggle, but I want her to struggle with it, right? Like, give her character some depth. And if, the, if it goes away in like season four or five, if there's a season five, I think it's going to do more for her character. I think it was a detriment to what they did to Picard. That they basically, he was the one that did all these terrible, awful things to all his buddies, his, like the Federation. And they just kind of swept it under the rug, like in the next few episodes. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm playing that kind of loose, Eric and David. And like they revisit it like six years later in First Contact. And then like, what, 20-ish years later in Picard. I thought that was a major detriment on how they played it out with Picard. And I hope they do better with giving Detmer that depth. I know that was a long ramble. No, I mean, it's very, I find it interesting. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's just time, the time and what, you know, people are more able to understand now. If you think, think back to when Next Gen was being aired. Do you really think that that would have flown on TV at the time? Having, like, a true sort of, I don't know, PTSD storyline with Picard? You know what I mean? Was was PTSD, honestly, is, uh, um, I don't know what the word would be, but identified as it is now? So I think so. I'd, I'd argue it would be. I mean, because like PTSD was really a thing. Going back to like Vietnam, right? Well, yeah, like, but I mean, even, it wasn't like called, World it wasn't War. Really, World PTSD War Two, truly. Back then, I, I know, I know that we we have you know the the whole whatever you want to call it, combat fatigue, shell shock, on into PTSD. But all I'm saying is that I, I think that there's been a lot of growth in in what is applicable on television in now 30 years. Um, I mean, think about television at the time. Like, I was forced to watch Full House because my sister controlled the TV at that time. I hated that show. I hated it because it was garbage TV, and so much of the 90s television was garbage TV. Um, Can you think of any show of the time that dealt with themes? I mean, like, really, like, not just one episode, but multiple, like, really as a character flaw dealt with it? I don't know. I'm sure it can be brought up, but I, it doesn't come to mind for me. Um, I, I just think I, I don't think know about Mal's arcs, a bit more accepting time of that. I don't know about arcs, but I think that, and this is where you and I might disagree, David, maybe even with Eric too, but I think the 90s perhaps did do, I'm going to sound weird, but I think they did do a good job of tackling hard issues, but they did it in a soft way. And the two shows that come to mind for me are Home Improvement and Boy Meets World, personally. I mean, I've seen both of those shows. I'm not really sure how they fall into this discussion. Maybe even Growing Pains. 
but we're not here to talk about sure. sitcoms from the eighties and the nineties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I was I was just <laughs> making the, the the equation to more more the growth the growth in in television to make it more of a more of a thing. Um, I will be highly disappointed if they if they use it as a um, as a plot point as opposed to a growing point for the character, though, because unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think that's always the danger: is that you make mm-hmm. it more of a, a, a plot that's easily bowed at the end of it. Right. I don't want Detmer to be just fixed in thirteen episodes. No. If, if they wrap that storyline up with a perfect little bow on top of it, that will be a big disservice. Well, she, she's actually one of the characters that I really like from this show. The, that I, I'm, I'm happy that we're getting a little bit more than just, you know, punch it. You, you know what I mean? So I, I hope that we right. do have a little bit more connection with some of the, some of the others personally. But again, mm-hmm. it goes down to definition. You you kind of have to define define what what they are, where they are in here. And unfortunately, you know, to, to Eric's point earlier, it could just turn back into the Michael Burnham Power Hour, you know, and Michael Burnham saves the saves the the universe type of deal. Yeah. So yeah, just have to see. Oh, so how do we transition out of this? Right. So about the trill. <laughs> okay. No, but but, but a, before a squid. we before we get to that, uh, we get the big like Buster Keaton um, movie night movie in the cargo thing. bay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I love Buster Keaton. You know, I'm not normally a fan of slapstick, and I think like the to me the Three Stooges is not funny at all. But there, some people would. I, Buster Keaton to me is not slapstick. Some people might argue that it is, but I love Buster Keaton. He is very funny, and I think I, I just I really enjoyed that scene at the end where everybody's getting together and they shove the popcorn in Georgie's face and she's like, "Fine," and then everybody gets back together and they hug, and they're all laughing and. You know, it feels like a crew. This crew keeps saying we love each other and we're such a good and close, tight crew. But the evidence we've seen doesn't support that. But well, this can is. I, can yeah. I bring up one, one more little point just to tag on to that? Sure. Do I have to raise my hand, Chase? <laughs> I'll allow okay, it. Thank you. I just raised my hand so you knew I had something important to no, say. No, no, I just, no, I, just I, I, I liked it. It was fun. But my question is: is um, does it does this crew feel more like a dysfunctional family than a crew? And do we ever get them to be a crew, or does it just remain a dysfunctional family? Because I'll be honest with you, like our our prior captains would have no issue with. Um, you know, say like Janeway having Harry Kim as an ensign come into her ready room and they have a, a heart-to-heart talk. But I, I think that there are certain captains in our in our lineage here of Star Trek that, you know, there, there's almost a, like a stopping point. But when we get the reconciliation uh, montage, you know, Tilly comes in and is, you know... It's it's it seems to me that you know this is, I don't know I don't know what rank means, because you just have everybody sort of, more again more like a family than than a crew and I don't know how, 
in this situation how a crew is more or less useful. But I know that, like, you know, I, I read a lot of nautical stuff, uh, you know, from 1700s, you know, real boring things for most people. Um, but, you know, and, and then just some of the themes of running crews from other Star Trek shows and other nerd shows. And it always seems like having that hierarchy is always like pinpointed is sort of how we run things efficiently. And a family <clears throat> can be very dysfunctional. So I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking a little bit too much in it, but it just it sort of seemed like they're they're trying to be a little bit more like a family than than a crew. And maybe a crew makes more sense. Maybe family makes more sense. I don't know if that makes any sense to you guys. I do. I do think I agree. I would say chain of command seems a bit laxed in this show than it does in others. Um, whereas, you know, Picard, you know, always felt to me like the detached captain, the very professional and detached, and he ran a tight crew. There wasn't really a family, it was a crew. And I, I felt the same way with Cisco. I mean, not as much, but he was he was running a crew as well. Yeah. I think there are some some shining moments where they're like a tight knit crew like coming together and I mean this is going to be something that Eric's going to like probably maybe shake his head at but I was actually talking about this in a meeting before we we sat down to do this but like stages of a team forming storming norming performing right like I don't know if, if we've ever seen the the, the crew at a performing stage. I, I feel like we're seeing mainly storming and norming. So forming is coming together. Storming is like there's chaos. Norming is we're starting to maybe move in, a, in one direction. And performing is we are firing on all thrusters and we are all moving in the same direction and we're doing a great job at it. And I don't see performing at all with the Discovery crew. And maybe I'm just blind to it. But to, to jump from that to this whole chain of command thing, I, I thought that that twice, was it twice? Um, at least twice. Um, maybe this episode and the last episode with, with Tilly and Burnham and with Tilly and Stamets, maybe even Tilly with Saru. One, I understand that Burnham was stripped of rank and all the other stuff in season one because she was, you know, the mutineer and that she was assigned quarters with a cadet who outranked her at the time. But now she's a commander and she's first officer and she's still bunking with an ensign. That doesn't make any sense to me. And then I was really confused even after the, like when the apology tour started and I thought... Stamets like was apologizing to Saru or Tilly was apologizing to Saru. like that whole thing was just confusing for me and like there there I mean I get that there's like this friendship this something that's going on but like what role does rank play I think that that really is the question that's starting to to come out 
in these interactions. I, I was cool with Stamets' apology because he comes in, he's kind of formal about it, a little bit more starchy. He doesn't sit down and, but and start, it, like, holding hands. But, like, I mean, Tilly comes in like, you know, we're best friends at a sleepover. Right, but, like, that's the part that I was con- a little confused about, David. Like, was he apologizing to Saru? Because he was, like, looking at Saru, but he was... I don't know that. But he was talking to Tilly. <laughs> Almost had a I catastrophic mic, mishap y'all. there. <laughs> and you'll never know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I got the impression that it was, you know, kind of to both in a way, just for the reaction. But, I mean, I, I don't know. What do you do when, when you have a blow up in a room full of people? Internalize it and don't apologize. I'll answer for everybody. It's fine. <laughs> that's That's my preferred method is just keep everything inside and walk away and then let that build up and build up in my head until I just like eat. Yes, use <laughs> your anger. <clears throat> David. What? Oh man. Wrong, Wrong show? show? Dang it. Wrong yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. So okay, listen. I think we've talked about all we've talked we've talked about all the discovery stuff, right? Yes. Yes. And I think, right, I, think we, I think we've all been in somewhat of an agreement on how we feel about this episode up until now. And I think here's where the disagreement will come in. Oh, no. No. No disagreement is allowed on this ship. All right. Uh, see you <laughs> later, everybody. Thank you all for listening to Engage. If you'd like to connect with us. All right. It's squid talk, y'all. All right. I think this is like essentially the 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 A line. Yeah, yeah. We right? we talked the B line to death and now we have to go to the A line. <laughs> Say your name. No, 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 we're not even there yet because we I have a lot to say before we get to that part. <laughs> okay, so we're going to Trill. And we spore jump there, okay? You know, apparently we're going to spore jump everywhere with no problems and no issues anymore. You know, that whatever happened to done. the issues of... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever happened to that. But anyway, we're spore jumping to Trill. Hey, the Trill people are welcoming us. Come down. Like, our society has been decimated by the burn because we had so many people off, off world and... We have nobody's ever come home, so come down. And he's like, "All right, decimated by the Burnham." Yep. Like, oh, you figured it out. Trust. Um, like, I am one hundred percent convinced at this moment that the burn, Michael Burnham, is responsible for it. I'm convinced. Like, this episode convinced me that Michael Burnham is responsible for the burn. Here we go. But that's okay. that's a discussion for another day. Um, so Saru's like, we'll send this trill down along with our medical officer, which totally makes sense to me, right? How it's many a away issue? How many away missions did Bones go on? A lot. A lot. If not all. Um, all of them, right? Yeah. Basically, 
How many away missions did Dr. Crusher go on? A lot. A lot. How many... Well, the, the doctor didn't go on very many away missions because he couldn't for a while. Um, how many away missions did Bashir go on? Not as much. Quite a few. Some, but not as much because we were on a space station. But mm-hmm. it makes sense for the doctor to go on this mission with her, right? Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense. So then Colber, who is dealing with his own issues. You know, he died and was reborn inside the mycelial network. And at the end of season two, he was dealing... He, he didn't know who he was. He still had to try to figure out who he was and how to make sense of it. And they just dropped that storyline. He got over that. Like, no, like nothing ever happened. That's, that's why he needs <laughs> to be the counselor. He can get over I mean, anything dying. But then he goes to Michael Burnham. And this scene made me so mad right here. This scene between Dr. Culver and Michael Burnham, like, I wanted to just throw something at my television watching this scene for so many reasons. Okay? Dr. Culver says, I'm not the person that should go on this away mission. You are. Michael Burnham's like, why? This is a medical issue. I'm not a medical officer. No, her problem's not medical. Uh, yeah, it kind of is. Um, her problem is emotional. And you should be there for emotional support. Wait, hold, hold on a second. You are telling someone who was raised on Vulcan, (laughs) by Vulcans, to go and be emotional support? (laughs) She's over that. What? That, like... What? Oh, Eric. <laughs> yes, go ahead, Chase. <laughs> Chase, go ahead. She's been, she's she's been she's been in this century for a year and she's totally chilled out. One man. whole yes, year. Yes, her her one whole year one has year. totally changed all of the Vulcan upbringing that she had. Yeah. Like, yeah. did no one else think that that was strange? I I it's not that I thought it was strange. I just didn't like the fact that he was he was pulling um, uh, an ensign Hoshi. Okay, explain, right? explain that. Hoshi is like so... Well, not that Culber's unsure of himself necessarily, but like early Hoshi, she like is so unsure of herself and like scared to death and like she's wanting to get out of situations all the live long day. Okay. And that's all I saw with that exchange was Hoshi all over again. Okay. Hoshi Sato, by the way, for anyone that's never seen Star Trek Enterprise, is the communications officer on the NX-01 Enterprise with Captain Archer. And then, like, they continue this discussion. And and Michael Burnham, you know, Colbert is saying, you're the one that should go with her. And Michael Burnham saying, no, you're the one that should go with her. And Dr. Colbert is agreeing. Yeah, maybe I might, I should be the one to go with her. But I'm not going to. And I'm like, to me... Oh my god. I'm so I mean, I'm not the chief medical officer. It's not my responsibility. But, but to me, to me, this scene is the writers telling the audience, F you. That that's what this is to me when I watch this scene. The writers are saying we know 
Dr. Kolber is the correct character to go on this mission. We started this episode with a Dr. Kolber montage. And he, this is the time. Like, this is what Star Trek does. We have an ensemble cast and different episodes follow different characters. And this episode started out as a Dr. Kolber episode. And it could have continued to be that. And this scene right here is the writer saying, we know that's what we should be doing, but we don't give a shit because this is the Michael Burnham show. And we're going to say F you to our fans, F you to our crowd. Like we want this to be all about Michael Burnham, even though we know it's wrong. And it makes me so mad because they're directly just telling the audience, screw you. And I think... They did the same thing in Star Trek Picard. There was a moment where Gerardi goes to visit Picard and she's looking looking at like iRobot by Isaac Asimov. And Picard's like, I never understood science fiction. Didn't make any sense to me. It was so pointless. And Chase and I talked about that that moment. It was like, why would you put that in the episode? It's the only reason, the only purpose it serves to me is to make fun of your audience. Like, oh, science fiction is so pointless. And... To me, that's exactly what they're doing here. They're just saying F you. And it made me so mad. Would you say, though, Eric, I hear what you're saying, but would you say that it was still an effective use of, of Culber in the rest of the episode? I know we just talked about the B plot, but with him staying on disc on the Discovery, do you think that he was still used well as a Dr. Culber episode, so to speak? No, because I think in the in the bad Thanksgiving dinner, he really doesn't even have he doesn't do anything there really. And then okay, he's at the at the the movie night, he's standing in the back talking with Saru briefly, but I think it would have been much more effective to use him when we go when we like get sucked into the pool and and he and Adira could have been there working through that issue. I think that would have been a much more effective use of Dr. Culver. So I want to, I want to kind of say this, and this might be a segue of, um, into what we do with um, Adira and, and company. But do you, to your, to your point that you're making, Eric, like with Culver should have been the one that should have gone to Trill and, and done the thing, but it ended up being Michael Burnham. Okay. That's what happened. Do you think that we will see away missions? I mean, we haven't really had very many away missions in Discovery, have we? No. I mean, not very many through two-plus seasons yet. Well, what would be the point of them? I mean, they're not, they're not discovering. They're not searching out brave new worlds, necessarily. And they're well, not looking for well, resources. I so I, I mean, that's just that's well, just my point. It's like, what would be the use of an away mission if you're not basically voyagering, or like well, enterprising? I, I mean, you know what I, I mean? mean season two set up this idea of the seven signals that appeared in the sky, and I kind of had this idea that it would be like one-off away missions, right? Oh, a signal appeared over this planet. We go there and we go down on an away mission and we do our thing and we wrap up that in the one episode and then. Next episode, ooh, there's another signal. We go there. We do it all, basically do the same thing over again. And then at the end of the season, we tie all those things together in the big conclusion. 
to me, that's where I thought season two was going to do, which totally turned out to be wrong. Um, but, I mean, I think you could easily do that here. Uh, oh, well, we got a clue that leads us to this one planet, and then we send an away mission down, and we figure out what's happening here, and we get another clue, and we go to this other planet, and we go an away mission there, and then we tie all those pieces together at the end. Right, but I mean, I mean, I, I'm just, you know, again, this is just my my thought line. So, what's your mission? Your mission is, at least for right now, to find Starfleet, and or the Federation, and we now have coordinates for that. And it seems like by the teaser, we're going to get there. So then, then what do you do? Do you join, and then now you're a part of this? Do you have an enemy to fight, or I I, I don't know, like. I think both of you have made this particular joke. It's like we're called discovery, but what are we discovering? And I and I, I don't I don't know what we're discovering right right to this point. We're we're just going from point A to point B. It's like and dang, was that wrapped up finding these coordinates? I mean that was like that was like here you go. <laughs> let's let's get you straight there. Yeah. I mean we had an entire well, season think- full of Zendi. You know, trying to find the Zendi, and my God, we get one episode. Oh nope, here's Federation. It's still clearly something, and here you go. I think with with Discovery, though, with what we're what we're doing is obviously we're we're trying to discover like what how the Federation fell apart from like you know an out of time people basically, but I think also like away missions would serve a purpose of gathering resources, gathering information. Like, we know that something happened to Dilithium, it went boom, and people went bye-bye for whatever reason. (coughs) And, you know, if we're talking about all this mental health stuff, like we focus so much on with Detmer so far, perhaps, like, we're looking at it, like, we need to look at it also systemically with, like, the relationships that we've had with all these alien races with this very, very point right here with the Trill, stuff went sideways with the Trill in the Federation. So I think, like, beaming down, for crying out loud, beaming down. Why did we not beam down, dadgummit? Because we took our shuttle pod. What is this? What is this? Is this like the Archer era? Like, why yeah, couldn't why we didn't beam we beam down? down? <laughs> okay. So, no, but but I, I, I just want to back up to this point. Um, you know, st- Star Trek TOS and TNG were this idea of we're ec- exploring strange new worlds and we're going from place to place. And Voyager has that same idea, right? We're voyaging from place to place. But like Deep Space Nine, people said, well, this isn't Star Trek. You're not exploring strange new worlds. But you're still exploring. And I think you're exploring character there and you're exploring societies and civilizations. No, but not necessarily strange new worlds beating planets. And I think that discovery doesn't necessarily have to be discovering new places, but it can be discovering ideas. Discovering ourselves. Right, I mean... The more you know. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I think that that's cool by premise. Obviously, that's more what I'd like to see because I'm a monster of the week kind of person. 
Um, you know, like just just as an equation here, like uh, Mandalorian. The Mandalorian. So yeah. I mean, right now we're we're you know it's been monster of the week almost consistently through. I love that kind of television because it reminds me of a lot of this, you know, a time when I actually watch television. Um, sometimes just like a continually arcing, arcing, arcing show. Get, I mean, it gets boring to me if that's yeah. all you're going to do. But you know, if we were going by that, then I, I totally get it. But like, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, it seems like we're speeding towards something and I don't exactly know what we're speeding towards aside from figuring out that Michael Burnham's jump somehow caused the catastrophe, which I fully agree with you on. I mean, come on. What, what, what caused all dilithium to explode? I mean, but, but I, I would say that to counter your point, television so much today is serialized. Oh, yeah. Um, We've, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I don't know exactly when it started. Maybe The Sopranos started it. I don't know. Uh, whatever. Um, but um, people expect their television shows to now be this, not Monster of the Week. And yeah, but, when you, but you, Eric, you get, I don't you wanna. Get, but I know, I but you get a show like The Mandalorian, especially this last episode. I know we're not on the contingency plan, <laughs> but... This la this last episode of The Mandalorian, a lot of you go to IMDb and a lot of people call this episode filler, right? And so when there yeah. when it doesn't add to this overarching story, people will tend to label it as filler and they'll try and just dismiss it. Oh yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I think I think we've kind of been ruined by the serialization, but. I mean, it is what it is. It's just that's not always what I want to see. I think it's cool, uh, you know, here and there, but I think it's cool to switch it up. So if I can just, like, back up for just a second, like, with this whole, like, serialized storytelling. Um, I'm, I, I'm the old man in the room. I don't think either one of you watched this, but uh, Blue Bloods. No. Okay, do either of you watch? Eric, I know you don't watch it, but David, do you watch Blue no, Bloods? No, no. I, I, I don't have okay, cable, so and I don't really care to watch but you have C you have cbs all access so you can yeah, watch it but i don't I, I literally i mean i pay whatever it is to watch this and it's it mm -hmm. seems dumb to me but i'm doing it just so that i can watch it but yeah i don't care about it i don't care about anything so, else so gen generally speaking with blue bloods so the tom Selleck police procedural show which i love by the way fantastic show um season one essentially was serialized essentially um, they kind of played it a little loose, but um, but they found that people really weren't digging it. They didn't like it. And they tweaked some things, and now it's basically like story of the week kind of thing now. And it has been going strong for like 10, 11, 12 seasons, something like that. And, I mean, it's got Donnie Wahlberg and... Tom Selleck. I mean, it's a good combination right there. Bridget Moynihan, right? Moynihan. Yeah. yeah. But again, like we had, like I think we had that that same kind of formula with um, with Deep Space Nine to an extent, like at least early on, right? Like you had like a, a story of the week, and then you have like some connected serialization that'd be interspersed throughout. You'd see that also in other iterations of Trek. But then you really saw it in the latter half of Deep Space Nine. And you certainly saw it, you've seen it in 
Enterprise, especially when we got to the Zindi story arc, the entire season, right? We see that completely in Discovery Season 1, Season 2, Picard Season 1. And look, I know that this is something that's like argued to death about serialization versus not serializing it. And it is what it is. Some people are going to like it. Some people are going like, to hate it. I'm not too crazy about serialization. Well, it, it works <coughs> It works with some shows and others with not. I mean, if you're talking about police procedurals, the one I watched was NCIS. I watched the crap yeah. out of that. But, yeah, like, it, serializing works with some shows and works with not. But, like, historically, though, with Trek, I mean, yeah, you, you, you have had points where, like, you've arced certain things or, like, you've had an arc go into the next season, but you pretty much end it. And DS9 yep. was probably the, the biggest example of continuing longer art, like, you know, the Dominion War or something like that. But they still they still moved in independent episodes that weren't considered, at least by me, I'm sure somebody did, but weren't considered filler. And I think you can do yep. that in a Star Trek universe. Yeah, but, but can you do that with 13-episode season? Wow. You can do that with a 26-episode yeah. season, but not with 13. Yeah, but that's another gripe I have. I, I think this whole 6, 10, 13-episode season stuff is lazy. I think it's lazy writers that can't come up. And I'm sorry, that might be harsh, but I feel like it, it's like, come on. TV has been TV for a very long time. I mean, we you, you don't really think about it because... Uh, the original series was 23, 22, 24 episodes or whatever. It was only on for three seasons, but there's a lot of content in those three seasons. Yeah, I think the first season of TOS is like 30 episodes. And they're like 55-minute episodes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, it, and if you can write that in yeah, blah, 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 maybe it's not as good to some people. But I'm just saying you can do it. There's an established formula. You can do it. But it seems like we're trying to do more with less and... Less is more isn't always the way to go. But hey, what one, do I know? And one I'm thing I was, I was a studio executive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing I was going to say before I coughed was um, that you know the thing about serializing something is that you're taking a huge gamble because if if you if you've crafted the story and you have to have parts one through ten. 13, 15, whatever your season is, some you're going to take a chance of people hating that story. And if and if they don't like your story, then see you later. Goodbye. Yeah. And then you've and then like your 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 entire story is potentially trash. Yeah, but I mean isn't that the inherent <coughs> risk of anything? You know, you make a pilot, it it's picked up, it's not. Sometimes it's canceled mid-season, sometimes it isn't. I mean, sometimes you lose. It, it, are we too afraid to lose now? Perhaps. Yeah, because of the monetary investment. Well, and that, that's so. something and, but that's you, something you, me and my brother actually discussed recently uh, on one of the episodes that isn't out yet. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, about how much more money is being put into television now. I mean, like the Lord of the Rings series on Amazon, how much money is being right. put into that Mandalorian's $100 million, uh, for uh, 10 to 12 episodes. So, yeah, I mean, there's there is much much bigger money at stake, but can't be afraid to lose. Gamble, throw the dice, man. Just don't. So be should we talk the about casino. the trill? Yeah, yeah, we should go down to trill. <laughs> that was a good fifteen minute discussion about serialization. Yeah. 
I don't know if that was 15 <laughs> just minutes. Cut, just cut it. <laughs> just cut it. That's going on Patreon. I'm kidding, y'all. <laughs> yeah, so let's go down to Trill, Chase. Take us there. In our shuttlecraft, instead right. of beaming. Why are we not beaming? <laughs> why? 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 Well, you remember? Why you remember? In the episode "The Host" from TNG, the Trill couldn't use the transporter because it would hurt the symbiote. Then they later changed yeah, that whole idea, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, dang it, we gotta use. That's gonna cost a lot of money. Have an ant so Captain Saru hails Trill, saying, "We got some peeps. We got some dude that you need to see. Some some dudeski that you need to see. So uh, help. Yeah, we'd we'd be happy to to see you. Let's make arrangements. They bebop on down there after the whole Culber thing, and we meet up with a squad of." monk-looking people in their robes, which was kind of weird to yeah, me. The, and okay. you can tell who's on what side because they have different colors. <laughs> Got the orange, the yellow guys over here, the red guys over here. And then a white lady in the, well. White robe. White oh, well, robe. White robe lady. <laughs> yeah. Was about to be <laughs> And they get all persnickety because this is, it's like say say the name. What what are your names? Adira, duh. Like oh well, we, she can't connect to her trill. You need to help her out. Help connect her. She's an abomination. And was anyone besides me getting the whole abortion vibe? Pro life, pro choice kind of message going on with that part of the story. The idea of we should forcibly remove it. The symbiote's what matters. No, it's her life that matters. Yep. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but now that you said it, I can I can see why how that could be. Not that I think that that's as prevalent per se now as it was maybe a couple years ago, a handful of years ago, but it still stood out to me as like one of those like subtle messages that was being thrown in. Hmm. No, I, the only message I got was this idea about people in their rigid orthodox thinking and un unwilling to accept any any new ideas or new thoughts and this idea of like conservatism versus progressivism. And as we all know, Star Trek is all about progressivism. But at the same time, I think Trek, even though even even if it is progressive with its messages I think it does good generally speaking of balancing it to where it's not antagonistic I would agree with that yes to where you can still see both both sides viewpoints in a fresh a new way so so yellow robe persnickety man is like no not gonna happen. You gotta go, bro. And um, they're being first off, like they're being escorted, but they're not being escorted to their shuttle pod. Be Wait, what? Because that the yellow robe persnickety guy was like, 
he was gonna like tr- gonna, gonna try and force forcibly take the symbiote away. But they're like little Jaffa sticks. Is that what it, that was? <laughs> and then Michael's like, "Well, screw oh, this." Shout out to my my SG one peeps, y'all. Oh yeah, yeah. So then Michael's like, "Screw this! I'm gonna shoot you." Forget you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> not really. She's not going home. Nope. And then red robe, red robe, open minded guy comes along and says, "I'll take you to these caves." Mm-hmm. And now we have a magic eight ball that can monitor your brain waves while you're taking a dip in the spa. And we've been we've been in these pools before in that episode where Jadzia goes back to to Trill where the murderer has to come out. Yeah. I was thinking that. Yeah. See, I remember things sometimes. <laughs> and Adira goes for a swimmy swim and people get all ticked off that she's taking a dip trying to connect with her symbiote you gotta help her out man stick some sticks in the water so she can oh no she's already gone down so you can help Michael Burnham go help her help herself type of thing so I'm, I'm just like did we breach into the fantasy realm here do we move away from science fiction and into fantasy here? So, Adira lays in this pool, and then she gets, like, sucked down into it, and Michael goes in after her, and she's like, I can't find her. She disappeared. Well, where did she disappear to? Did she get fantasy zapped away somewhere? She's in the upside down, dude. Well, Stranger Things has definitely influenced Star Trek Discovery. That's... That's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> David, you're being off. She's in the quiet. upside down. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of, um, you know, for this whole thing, I, I don't really have a lot to say, to be honest with you. You know, because you, you, you have, you have the whole storyline going on. Um, I, I, I just, you know, it is a world devoid of hope and everybody is kind of um, turtling back to the most protective method that they can Uh, same with Earth you know becoming essentially like a xenophobic uh, planet Um, you know Trill is obviously adopting something sort of similar but they're being charged with the harsh reality that uh, their belief system is potentially a lie or there have been omissions um and we're we're still not told how Adira can hold this, carry the symbiote. We're I don't think that was ever explained. At least it it didn't come to my mind when I was watching it. So, of all the things that I wanted explained, I wanted that explained as to how that was able to. Is is it because of evolutionary stuff? Um, is it her? sort of like almost schizophrenic deal at the end uh, that is somehow like some special connection with, with I don't know, I, a past hosts and stuff like that. I, I don't, uh, 
that's the one thing I wanted out of it, and that's the one thing that I was disappointed to not get. The rest of the stuff seems pretty straightforward. You know, you're you're discovering memories. You go through the memory montage. Michael helps her to understand that you know she can't be afraid of the whole thing, afraid of her past because it's all told through her past, justifying her own memory block of what happened to her and her um, significant other here. So, I mean, that's all just kind of window dressing for stuff that I still don't have an answer to. So even though I kind of, I kind of enjoyed the ride, I was, I was a bit disappointed at the, at the end of the outcome. And then what do we get at the end? Well, maybe when we all get back together, if the Federation becomes a thing again, uh, maybe we can share more. So, meh. I think the thing that um, I think I'm okay with, with the, how is Adira okay with Tal being inside her up to this point, is the fact that she hasn't been connected to spaghetti up to this point. She's been disconnected. So I think that that's, and that and that's my headcanon at this point, okay, of like how it's acceptable, because like, again, when we originally saw the whole host thing with Riker, you know, in, in TNG, it was killing him very quickly because bad match. <coughs> and I think that because they've been disconnected from each other, apart from the squid, which I hated that, by the way, um, covering her, her heart, I think that's the only reason she's been able to survive. I'd be interested to see that now that she's connected, spoilers, that is this thing going to start killing her slowly? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the episode made a big deal about the joining is mutual and both sides have to accept it. The host has to accept the symbiote. The symbiote has to accept the host. It made a big deal of that with, with, you know, um, gray, you know, the, the former host and Adira's boyfriend. Um, and he, he says that he says that a lot, multiple times like we both accepted each other and then when we see all of these former hosts in this in this memory they all pop out they say tall accepts you and i guess to me they were trying to make the point that adira is able to to take this symbiote because the symbiote accepted her which is kind of a which is kind of it doesn't really make sense to me but I think right. that's that's the reason that they're giving. So is this is this just blowing up then the whole the whole trill sort of experience up to this point where it didn't matter who carried as long as they made a connection then? Like well, are are we are we just are we just killing no killing you, that off or if you if you look back to, to that that episode where Jedzia goes back, um, I think it's called the Rejoined. Um, they have this the Trill Initiate program and they have to go through this very rigorous application process for lack of a better term because not every Trill is able not every Trill humanoid right, is able to be a host and they have to make sure they go through this screening process but then we learn in that episode that Basically, every Trill humanoid is able to accept a host. 
but that's something that they don't want out there because there are too few symbiotes. And if every single person was it would be able to have one, they would become these objects to be bartered with, traded and sold. And so maybe we're saying that, hey, if every single trill humanoid is able to be a host, why aren't other species able to be hosts? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that ult- ultimately, right, yeah, you're, you're right on that. I mean, but that, that's sort of, that's sort of my, my whole thing. Are, are we just here to establish that it, it just doesn't matter and the Triller just, just happened to get to the pool of symbiotes first? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I feel I mean, like if the Trill humanoids and the Trill symbiotes, you know, evolved on the same planet, you would think that there's some DNA biological reason why they can become a symbiote pair and why humans or Vulcans or somebody else wouldn't be symbiotic. I was just thinking about, um, you know, Jadzia, who's like certainly the most famous trill that we've, we've met, right? Um, like the character. I mean, of course, there's been the others as well. But I think about there was something inherent in what was that season two where um, there's a trill that comes on board and essentially forcibly removes the trill from her and implants it into himself. And he went through the same initiation program and he was deemed to essentially not be a match. Um, for reasons, right? And it was killing, essentially killing Jadzia, and it was mentally jacking him up, and he ultimately died, and they had to put Dax back in Jadzia, and now this new conscious is part of... Yeah, good story um, on DS9. I really like that story. So I think there is something to the whole, like, accepting, even if it is kind of like this implicit, like undergirding so to speak what do you think eric no david i i I see what you're saying yeah um yeah but david yeah yeah okay i i just think that they're they're maybe they are make i don't know maybe they are they aren't making a mountain out of a molehill but i did think that the whole connection aspect was something that was an interesting take on the whole trill mythos of sorts trill lore I guess um, <clears throat> I want to just say this like gray gray tall and Adira I liked the story of them and like the to an extent okay I see a look I, I, I liked the story and how it played out there in the spaghetti room underwater but there, and I'm probably going to get hate tweets for this one. There was just so much PDA, man. Like, I was so over it after a while. I'm like, okay, I get it. Y'all were a couple. But this is just a little excessive for me. I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but I think that the counter argument that a lot of people in the LGBTQIA plus community would say is that... There's not enough representation, and usually when you show these types of characters, 
they don't get to display affection, right? You get to oh, this is a this is a non cis couple, right? Okay, and you just get to see them together, maybe hug or hold hands. You don't get to see them be affectionate, and I think that a lot of people in that community have a problem with that. And so Star Trek is trying to say now we're accepting of this and we are going to let them have their relationship. I'm impressed that you remembered all the letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I've been I'm not thinking, making fun I've been of about, I am impressed, no. genuinely impressed that you remembered all the letters because I... I've been thinking about that. That's that's good. <laughs> I, I actually thought it was, it was a cute little relationship. I mean, they're younger. It's, it's cute. The only thing I didn't really care for is just, you know, stretching in that obligatory, like, cuss word. I just don't get it. It was the whole thing with with even in Picard. It's like, but you don't have to. You, you don't. Ha- you can be cute, but you don't have to do that. And that, I mean, again, I'm not. I'm not being a prude. Uh, trust me, I watch a lot of things that probably cuss a lot more <laughs> than that. Um, but it, it just. It, it. I don't know. It just seemed a little bit. A little bit odd. Yeah, and then I guess maybe the only other thing that I'll say is that. Too many stories in the the LGBTQIA plus community um, deal with tragic things that happen to these characters, where they're they're injured in some way that whether it's violence or you know something like that. And I'm kind of disappointed that we had to go down that path here. That this was like mm. a tragic story, and they couldn't. I mean. Even though it seems like they had a happy relationship and something is happening with them later and they're they're able to be reunited and who knows where that's going. But that they felt the need to create a tragic story around them when so much of stories about these types of characters involve tragedy. Sure, yeah. So, I thought that the box was a good, a good image to use to kind of aid, like with the the journey to reconnecting. You're reconnecting with your past to be able to connect with your future. I guess that's what I'm going with. Um, before I get to the end with like the people showing up, is there anything else that we need to talk about? Because I need to talk about the people showing up. No. Okay. So, the moment okay that Riker shows up and saves the day in Picard, I freaked out. The moment that Picard shows up, or that um, that Riker shows up in Lower Decks and saves the day, I look like an idiot freaking out. The moment these characters showed up and then we get this tight shot on this admiral of admiral senatal i freaked out i smiled and i was like oh my god just like that because i genuinely genuinely believed that was andy robinson i genuinely thought that was the actor that played garrick and then i looked it up and i was severely disappointed (laughs) Um, uh, correct me if I'm... It was not Andy Robinson, by no, the way. it was not. Uh, 
I recognize this actor. He's a total, like, that guy. You know? You know what I mean? There's actors that you you see them all the time. You don't know what their name is, but that guy! I, I've seen that guy! And this actor is a total that guy. Like, I don't know what his name is, but I've seen him before. So, so, Tall, Tall the symbiont, Tall the, the squid, whatever. Well, hey, hey let, let's decide. Is it symbiote or symbiot? Symbiont. Symbiont. Hey, there you go. So that's what you just Yeah, there you go. Okay, don't call it a squid. I don't, I don't like that, calling it a squid. I didn't like that either. So, so, tall, the symbiont, symbiont, sorry, has had now seven hosts, okay? Now, this is what happens whenever I start thinking. That's Bad things happen when I start thinking. It's dangerous. Okay, we got, let's go, let's go in reverse order. We got Adira, we got Gray, we got Senna, the Admiral. Right. Um, oh, I just lost it. Um, we got Kara, Medela, Jovar, and Kasha. Tall. Gang. I was looking at those, at those folks that showed up, and one of them was wearing a late twenty-fourth century. Yeah, uniform. one of the Picard uniforms. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to have a really long life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it, especially because Gray only had the symbiote for what a week, couple of months. Yeah. 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 I thought that too. I was like, seven doesn't seem like enough to stretch from. 3188 all the way back to 2398. <laughs> right. That doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> so I was I was having a real hard time with that. I'm like, okay. Okay, I mean it's cool to see the uniform. Unless unless again, that style but... of uniform was in service for like 200 years and you can cut down the time a little bit. I mean, they used the monster maroons for like what was that? Almost a hundred. Yeah, the yeah the Wrath of Khan things for yep. a while. Yeah. Yep. So that's kind of like a little little, little thing that I was like, ah, oh, bro, bro. So did okay. We've all seen Deep Space Nine, right? <laughs> Yes, I have seen Deep Space Nine. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> Sorry, we were just watching Eric slowly, slowly extinguish himself over there. So. <laughs> I think he was okay. coughing up a lung, or it was a horse, one of the two. <laughs> or a dog giving birth to a lamb, I don't know. So about DS9? <laughs> that hurt, that hurt. I'm you sorry, ever cough, buddy. It hurts. Yes. Yeah. All the time. All the time. Yes, I have seen Deep Space Nine. Okay. Y'all. Mm. 
maybe I'm making a bigger deal out of this than it actually is, but the circle was kind of a bad guy organization in Deep Space Nine. So Bajor when, when for Senatal, So when when Senatal was like, Welcome to the circle, I was like Uh <laughs> Um No. <laughs> but you know, you Please talk no. about like Welcome to my circle of trust. <laughs> oh, I will see myself out. No, what, did any did, did y'all think of that? Did that come no, to mind, I, no. or am I going crazy on that <laughs> no, one? No, you're crazy, insane. Yeah, okay, well, everyone, thank you for tuning in. We are not going to be ranking this episode <laughs> or evaluating it now. You need Counselor Culver right now. I do, and a good slapstick comedy right now. Oh, okay. I feel like we've talked this episode to death. We have talked this episode to death, so let's get out of the spot. Let's let's say yay for saying all the names. Let's talk about a different joining eventually. Maybe rejoin the Federation and let's go on our merry way and whisk away, get spirited away to friggin' Federation. Just one now. more one more thing. Are we still in the spaghetti room no. or no? It's just a general no question. Okay, got so it. What does everybody think Adira's role is? Crazy cello player, or does she, like, fit somewhere? Because we've been talking about fitting in quite a bit. I mean, obviously, she's got engineering knowledge, but does she go into engineering? Does she suit up, so to speak? Or, I mean, like, what's, what's, the, what's the point of her now that we've discovered Federation coordinates? I mean, I think... Either she's going to join the crew permanently, they're going to make her like a cadet or just promote her to an ensign. Wesley Crusher, Crusher her, right? Put her in engineering. That makes sense. Um, or she's going to die. <laughs> like we. No, I, I, I actually that's not going to happen because <laughs> I've I've read a lot. I've read a lot of I've read a lot of things about this episode, specifically about Blue Del Barrio and Ian Alexander. And they both they both said that there's a positive relationship between Adira and Gray moving forward. Like they start from this place of tragedy, but their relationship becomes positive. And they've even mentioned season four in these interviews. Interesting. Okay. That's a look, so, David. What's but, what I'm just saying but, is, this is like a Patrick Swayze thing. Are they going to make po- or pottery together? I mean, she's not real. I, I mean, he's not he's I, not real, right? At this point, no, are we bringing it's, him it's back like, like Culber? It's like that episode in season seven where Ezri manifests the, the former host, uh, so they can hunt that killer. Yeah, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like I, I don't know. I'm just. Yeah, but to answer your question, I have no idea what Adira's role is anymore. Like, what purpose does she serve? I don't know. I don't see. I like. I don't her, see her going just, back to the. I don't see Earth Defense Force in her future at all. I think she's going to stay on the Discovery, and she's going to be a crew member of some kind. They're going to commission her, give her like a weird three-colored jumper, and call it good, like they did with Wesley, and gonna, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Why does my uniform look different than everybody else's? Shut up, Wesley. 
<laughs> okay, we have literally talked this episode to death. And if there are no other arguments to be made, I'm making the decision that we're moving on to the evaluation. So, of course, this is the part where we, we rate the episode from 1 to 10, 1 being a dumpster fire to 10 being absolutely amazing based on what we've seen in this episode, what we thought about it, how it made us feel, etc., etc. So, uh, I believe last time I started with David, so this time we're going to start with Eric. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, there's a lot of good in this episode. A lot of good. There's a lot that, as I said, made me very mad. And I try to be objective and not let my emotions get in the way of things. But I was so mad watching this episode. Because I just felt like the writers... We're saying, screw you. And I can't get over that. I really can't get over that. And this might be harsh, but I'm giving this episode a six. Okay, that was quick. I'm just, ah. Okay. Screw you from the writers. Got it. Commander David, what do you got, bud? Um, you know... I, I got a I had a very good feeling from it. You know, after after watching, I was um I was I was happy. I'm and you know, things could go very differently throughout the rest of the season, but I, I thought this felt a lot more like things I don't wanna say like falling back on things we're used to, but I, I thought we were following a positive formula for the development of the show, so I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, there, there, there are obviously holes that I can nitpick to death. I mean, I, I can nitpick anything because if you think about things long enough, you can do that. So, but I mean, just, just as a feeling after the episode, I had a, I had a very positive feeling uh, about it. So I, I would probably say it's, it's not going to be like the, the best of the best, but uh, I was, I was right at like an eight, five. An 8.5, yep. you said? Okay. And for me, um, I'm probably going to get a look, but this, I think, has been so far my favorite episode of Discovery. And um, it's I, I didn't like the the Georgiou stuff and, and whatnot. Um And I did have some issues here and there, but I did end up really liking this episode. And for me, it's it's just a solid eight. That was the number that I thought day uh, when I first watched it. So this is an. Did eight no eight. one else feel mad at all? Like we got bait and switched? No, not really. I mean, to to your point, I, I think uh, I think it would have been very entertaining with Culver going down with Adira. Um, and the more I think about that, yeah, I mean, I think that would have been great. Um, but I had no issue with Michael being down there with her. I, I mean, I, I just, I don't think, uh, I don't think it made enough of an impact on me. To, I mean, this is, this is, this is straight up bait and switch as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, kind of. 
I think it would have made sense to have all three of them go, 100%, especially like with what we see happen in the pools, right? Like, he should have been there like with a tricorder, probably monitoring or sticking something on her to, you know, follow her down into the upside down to monitor. But um, generally, I really, I really like this episode. Well, and so far, I really like season three of Discovery. They already and I had said, the eight ball, so no tricorders needed. You're right. Yeah, the magic eight ball. And You're I said, right. I think there's a lot of good. Like, I think the B, the B story, which we spent more time talking about, was interesting. <laughs> I just can't get over this this one scene where I just it made me so mad. I can't get over it. That's okay. That's okay. So if I'm I'm having to do some simple math on the fly real quick. So let's see. So we're like at what an eight and eight point one, I think, if I'm doing my math. Twenty four point five divided by three. Go. No. That'd be like eight point one and a quarter. Something like that. Okay. So there we go. That's the episode average right there. Shazam. You should have made yours lower, Eric, so you would have brought down wait, the average. Wait, wait, hold on. You're you're wrong about that. You got it's it's 22 and a half divided by three, not 24 and a half. You're right. My bad. 22, yes, and, 22 and a half, half. divided by That's three. That's why you're the professor and I'm not. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that would be a 7.5. Yeah. Okay. There we go. This is why I don't math. That's why I let you do the math for me. <laughs> I can rip apart a research article based on stats that I see, but don't ask me to do simple math. All right, gang. Well... Eric, David, it's been a fun conversation. And um, I don't know if, if anyone feels the same way that Eric does or shares feelings um, like maybe somewhere in the middle of it was a mediocre episode or, or it was just not good. I mean, six is a mediocre although, episode. Although right on IMDb, this episode is rated a 6.6. 6. How about that? How about that? Are they calling it filler? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely not a filler episode. <laughs> it's serialized. It can't be. See, I, I've said this multiple times, but I think IMDb is simultaneously like the greatest place and the worst place because you can find out the opinions of random people on the Internet. But you can and find you can out also... the opinions of random people on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, Eric, David, thank you for for uh, continuing the conversation. We'll be back next time for episode five of Discovery as we go and I think we're going to find the Federation now that we're almost halfway through the season, kind of-ish. Maybe. Yeah. So with that, um, if you enjoyed what you heard, make sure that you like, subscribe, share, do all the stuff, uh, get in contact with us, connect with us. You can do all that. You can find out more information, ways to connect, and... Um, share by going to trtvpod.com um, make sure that you leave a comment and just tell your friends about the show if you want to support us financially um, keep the dilithium from blowing up uh, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash these are the voyages there are um, some affordable tiers for you out there uh, but if you want to get in contact with us and share some of your thoughts opinions or just random whatevers you can do that uh, by opening up hailing frequencies 
uh, by sending us an email to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. There's a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of Engage or These Are the Voyages. Finally, if you want to write us something like how in the world a trill symbiont was able to survive that long in canon and answer that question for us, we'd love that. Or if you just want to, you know, write a letter to Eric saying we need to see you in a dress, you can do that by sending it to Lone Star Station at P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas, 76098. <laughs> Guys, it's been fun. Um, and as we leave here today, may you always remember to boldly go and make it so. Yeah.